it can save Russia as long as it's, the letters are no bigger than neutral athletes' letters. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> there are certain requirements for the Russian post. But yeah, the whole um, they think, of course, is really not nice for us. We have no connection to what happened. Hello and welcome to this episode of The Run-In, sponsored by Envy and Straight Compasses. We have got a really, really great interview coming up that Hector Haynes has done for us with Veronica Kalinina, multiple junior world champs, medalist, uh, champion indeed, and Russian athlete. And we kind of wanted to get her on to chat about what it's like being a Russian athlete, especially with news in the last kind of couple of months about the Russians not being able to kind of run under the Russian flag. We also get into some good chats about kind of fair play as well so that's going to be a very interesting one but um will we've got some kind of little bits of news to run through before we Mm -hmm. head to that the first one being decisions made at this swedish orienteering board meeting about mostly about kind of gender equality things like that so a little bit about like boards and committees having a certain percentage over 40 percent of men or women um, one interesting one, which I hadn't heard chat about, but you like being basically you must be 17 to be able to participate in the Swedish championships. And that's like junior or senior. So that means like the older juniors and the seniors. So they're basically stopping people who are 16 and under running up to run in those national championships because, mm. yeah. And I think and they've that that's quite an interesting one that I've not really heard anything about. Because um, I'd, I'd heard that, yeah, I think it is quite a good idea, really. I'd heard that similarly from Emil Wingstead a few years ago, based on the, the Norwegian system, where that's why they don't send um, teams of 16-year-olds or M&W-16s to EYOC, because mm. they're not competing at a championship level at that point. So they don't send a championship team because they don't deem that that is a necessary part of their development. Because, yeah. you know, they're going to be it reach a certain age and then start competing in the senior elite championships. So um, it is an interesting one. I wonder what kind of impact it would have on Britain, making it more participation focused rather than championship focused from an earlier age. Mm. Our system well, very think, much based on I think on there's those. certainly some something in there about not pushing your juniors too hard too soon, especially when you're developing. Yeah. And I think that is the main thing that is a part of it of course you can still do your age class champs but you can't do you know the junior champs in terms of like national champs in terms of 18s and 20s i think that's just what it's saying you can still there's still lots of competitions i'm sure for them to run in yeah and i think especially for a long distance it's probably a good idea not to run up um yeah uh, and if you're good enough to go to a jaywalk or something a couple of years early then i think you're uh, you'll be recognized as that and you'll be selected anyway yeah. And um, and another thing that they were talking about on the, the board was, of course, the changing competition structure. So making it sure it's equal for men and for women. And it looks like that has kind of gone through, but actually being quite close, this one, 36 to 31. Mm. Yeah, that is that is closer than I would have thought it'd be as well. Uh, but that's to that's to create parity in terms of winning times and um, across all of the structure. Well, the winning times is already done, but it's in terms of, of, I think it's mostly in terms of the, with um, making sure there's equal numbers on relay teams and things like that, equal like Uh, prize money, if there's prizes or whatever, and various things like that. So I think the the biggest impact that will have is like obviously on Tiamila, but so Mm. they they said they're actually going to look closely at the kind of the details of the objections that people have put in and why people voted against it, even though it was voted in favour, because 36 or 31 is really quite close, I think. Yeah, no, incredibly close. And I, I guess there's, it, when it comes down to how they're going to look at the objections, it's what, whether they pull things like Tia Mila into the discussion that uh, has been happening around cross-country in the UK recently with, um, do you reduce the men's distance to the same as the women's, or do you increase the women's distance to the same as the men's? Do you, do you drop the men's or legs do you meet somewhere 10? in the middle? Yeah, somewhere exactly. So do you drop men's from ten legs to eight, and you increase the women from five legs to eight, or, or vice versa? Yeah, as well. And um, but it does feel weird. Like it should be ten legs. Like team leader should be ten. But um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> anyway, it's... yeah. I, I they've got to have those 
those yeah decisions going forward but when we were chatting to people like Lena Strand behind the and other people behind the um whole campaign they were like we don't really mind what ultimately team Mila looks like we just want it to be equal we don't yeah that's for other people to decide exactly and actually speaking of um team Mila this year's like big event obviously this is the big relay in Sweden had been cancelled but they've now kind of announced something they're hoping to put on for just elite teams and um Actually, they're kind of, and I think that I'm assuming this is only, I think it's definitely only for one year, but doing three legs at night and then kind of doing some sort of chase and then almost pausing the relay and then restarting it again in the morning when it's light and then doing another three legs. And that's the same for the men's and the women's kind of running parallel to each other. Um, yeah. What do you reckon, Will? Uh, well, it's kind of a tried and tested format that already exists in the Swedish spring relay. So um, there's one called Stig, uh, Stig Tom to Club. Stig Tom to Kavlan. I'll, I'll get it right eventually. Thank you. Um, which has that exact same format. So it's it's three legs running the night. You stop. Then the next morning, about 9am, the leading team sets off and goes yeah. again. I think Nighthawk Relay in Norway has followed similar structure, but with four legs of the last few years since they restarted that one. Um, and I quite like it as a structure. I feel like that's what our relays over here should do with the harvester. You, know, mm. you should have a few legs in the night, stop, go again in the morning because there's not I think it would entice more clubs to take part, but I guess that's kind of a different conversation. Um, but I think as a format, it works really well. The women are going to have some night legs, which is going to be very interesting because we obviously yeah. we don't see too many night relays for the women. So that's going to create an entirely different, well, team structure, you know, tactics. Yeah, thinking about, yeah tactics, thinking about how the team's going to be set up, who you're going to put on what leg, exactly. Yeah, and it really slims down... Well, it opens up the women's options of what they can do tactically from members of the club. They've got an extra leg in there as well yep. compared to five, just five legs. And for the men, it really becomes, a, I mean, it's a lot shorter. It's going to be a lot a lot harder, a lot faster. And you don't have that wiggle room to, you know, get through, burn through some weaker runners and jump on a long <laughs> night train. You've got to be good from the gun. Yeah, but obviously, you know, a lot of teams, major teams, elite teams, this is only for elite teams, um, as I said, still to, to be defined how that is going to actually work, like what is elite, what is not elite. Mm. But um, obviously, uh, I'm I'm assuming a lot of the foreign runners will not be able to go. But um, I would make that assumption, yeah, that yeah. whether that be vaccine related, you know, not having access because um, of the vaccine rollouts in certain countries or even locally not being able to leave and go and being on red list and so forth, you know. Um, yeah, sadly, because it'd be great to do. <laughs> yeah, it really would. Um, <laughs> but of course, we have got a load of events starting up again from this weekend, from well, into next week. Um, so, so exciting to see more and more stuff kind of cropping up on the fixtures list so do keep an eye out as to what's going on in your area um entry deadlines particularly because obviously a lot of all the races having to do pre-entries and making sure you get a spot if it's kind of a limited um start list and everything like that mm. but i can't wait to find a kite an actual kite in the forest oh I just, yeah oh it's so exciting <laughs> <gasps> no it would be brilliant no it will be um and there's and hopefully that means the elite races planned in on the selection policy for the 17th 18th of april in the midlands will still be going ahead as planned so we get the first elite racing of the year as well and and will i also wanted to um highlight something that i've seen on social media recently with one of the athletes we've actually had on the podcast very recently Milos Nikodim and it really struck me quite a bit when we were chatting to him and then also um some of his recent Instagram posts and actually just wanted to bring this up because I think it's an important thing to chat about and he seems to be I don't know if he is but he seems to be quite occupied with how much he weighs and looking thin on social media posting a few pictures of him without a shirt on going look at me I'm thin and I'm really fast and I'm thinking oh I'm 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 hoping like this is a healthy relationship with your weight and not an unhealthy one because eating disorders are an issue in orienteering maybe more so for the women's but maybe also equally for the men and we're just not talking about it as much and you know, you put yourself at a higher risk of injury 
and it's it's not quite as easy as lighter equals faster so um i just hope he's doing okay milosh is doing okay and to say that there is no normal way for people or no particularly optimum way for somebody to look and someone's weight to be if you're going to be a great orienteer and do your research mm. you know be be questioning have you got a healthy relationship with food because it's really important and we should all be talking about it yeah yeah uh, absolutely and i would hope that the um the post that milosh has been putting up you know are more related to the look at look i mean i'm in great shape coming from altitude camp ready for the season more mm. kind of trying to showcase the the hard work he's he's been doing training wise rather than you know to try and gain a um uh, a kind of false positive from you know going down a, a dangerous path of relationship with food obviously if you go into you know, start thinking about food and weight and it's something that i think naturally comes into your mind when you especially if you watch any other sports like cycling and you hear mm-hmm. about power to weight ratios and all of this that <laughs> there's always this behest that you know more power uh, equals go you know less weight equals go faster and, and i mean there's a there's an interaction to a degree, but there's a dangerous slope to go down as well. And I think a lot of people have probably done it on a minute scale, um, myself included. Of, you know, if you if you don't eat a certain food, or or you decide that you're going to stop eating something, you know, because of uh, its health benefits or or something like that. I, alcohol is probably the prime example for most people. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But then it does go down the dangerous slope of, well, is there a benefit to what you're doing and what you're cutting out, or is there actually does it tip you over into a negative? Is it worth having that one beer to actually not feel like you're you're starving yourself off from anything just for the pursuit of a hundred grams less on your body? But yeah, well, yeah. Uh, we know we need to get. We're not we're not experts in this. Well, we we'd I think nope. we need to get so, a guest on to to have a little chat about this because I think it's um I think it's a really important thing. So if anybody anybody listening. Uh, knows somebody or is an expert themselves in things like this in in diet and in um yeah fueling your body i think fueling your body for orienteering for exercise all those kind of things then we'd love to get you on so get in touch Hmm. um let's move on and um head to our main interview from today thank you so much to hector who's had a chat um to nika um veronica kalinina from russia um, the audio quality is not the best on it, but please stick through that because I think the questions and the answers are so interesting and so revealing. So um, please do enjoy and Hector, over to you. So here I am with Veronica Kalinina. Uh, I hope I pronounced your surname correctly. Yes, good. Yeah, um, correctly. Yeah. A Russian athlete, I'm sure many people listening to this know her, a fantastic person. She has two JWAT gold medals and one silver medal uh, from, of course, 2018-2019 in Hungary and Denmark. Um, Yeah, an incredible athlete just moving up into the senior ranks now. Uh, A senior, how does that feel, Nika? Tell us a little bit about, uh, yeah, your orienteering career, how you got into orienteering as a youngster, and uh, yeah, I'll, just a little bit about you as an orienteer. Well, first of all, hi to everyone. I'm now very shy about how Hector introduced me, but thank you very much. I'm really glad to be here. Well, it's actually kind of difficult to move to seniors. <laughs> I'm now training whole winter with uh, some uh, Russian national team women who have been in the team like for 20 years and it's so so hard but it's very exciting of course well um, just yeah moving to the seniors I don't know it's a long way but uh, it's totally interesting and uh, I'm looking forward to all of that and like to the difficulties and to the nice moments mm-hmm. that's it <laughs> Cool. Oh, that sounds really good. So you're in Russia at the moment, training with the Russian national team with the senior women, as you mentioned. So how how is that going? What's the setup there for you at the moment? Uh, well, it's really good for me. Like I try to create myself good opportunities for training, but it's not like it's uh, an organized training camp of Russian national team or Russian national women's team. No, it's not nothing like that. We just uh, 
communicate with each other and we say like why not we go to the training camp together and we go that's it <laughs> because we are stuck in Russia but actually yeah. to be stuck in Russia is really nice as it turns out well I always love my country but in this year when we couldn't go to any foreign countries uh, it turned out it's like amazing <laughs> well I knew it but now I discovered it even more so we just yeah we gather we make the training camps and we run together and I spent the whole winter on the south of Russia because I come from Moscow and in Moscow it's minus 25 pretty whole winter <laughs> lots of snow perfect for skiing but not for running so I'm on the south of Russia close to the Black Sea and to this Caucasus mountains and I run here pretty the whole winter because here are really great conditions for training, mountains and just warm weather. Sometimes it's up to plus 15. Pretty wow. cool. Yeah, yeah. Orienteering maps. Yeah. And I do like, yeah, just train a lot. I uh, have a lot of elevation gain, maybe more than kilometers, but no. Yeah, <laughs> yeah just uh, the goal here is to not to overrun because the conditions are so great. You can run like three times a day. Oh, wow. Okay, perfect. I mean, that sounds fantastic. So, you know, any competitions that do happen, any competitions that are coming up this year, you'll be in great form already, uh, right at the start of the season, hopefully. So I really hope so. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, give us a little a bit of an insight into then the, the sort of the, the terrain that Russia has, um, you know, all the different bits of Russia. I mean, Russia is a huge country, of course. So tell us a little bit about your travels within Russia and, yeah, the different types of terrain that Russia has to offer. I mean, how, how do you train, for instance, now? How, how are you thinking about world championships or European championships or any World Cups that are coming up this year? Yeah, so it's, uh, as you told, it's like a huge country with many uh, versatile terrain. So um, it's like if you travel closer to the Finnish border, for example, it's... Uh, exactly Scandinavian terrain you can have there. Where I live in Moscow, it's like a flat, bushy, with lots of roads, so nothing interesting for orienteering. And where I am now in the south of Russia, there are many, many maps here. And I shall say this south of Russia region is like the most popular for orienteering and for the training camps, because it's mountains, they are up to uh, 1,500 meters, so not very high, but quite like an altitude. And it's just like steep slopes uh, with big relief forms and not very detailed, uh, but like, yeah, kind of really steep always and with uh, some, yeah, green forest. So you have to choose like the variants and uh, it requires really like your physical shape. Uh, yeah, you just have to be really strong here. Mm. So um, when I'm here, for example, right now in this winter with girls, we do lots of orienteering in the mountains, but uh, also like uh, it shouldn't be too much of it because it's just like um, as if you always, I don't know, jump uphill. So it's like a really forced training session and uh, yeah, you get really strong. But if you do a lot of that, then you forget about the speed. So sometimes you just do some speed running. Uh, and right now, for example, I'm on this only running training camp because recently I had too much orienteering. So you have to switch, yep. kind of. And also, uh, you asked about uh, coming walks and AOX, and you can really find here um, similar forests or like areas. Okay. And you can, re can really model uh, like the terrain uh, here. Of course, it requires like some um, tricky course planning so that you, for example, see this check uh, cliffs yeah. here in the forest, but there, there are some, and if you like, I don't know, uh, if you make it, uh, if you zoom the map and then you have all these cliffs, and if you um, make the right uh, planning of the course, then it's totally like check. So actually the rock conditions here for modeling and Switzerland and check and whatever you want actually. Perfect. So we kind of try to do it, yeah, uh, especially with checks coming up in the forest because I'm more as, as like a forest runner. But yeah. also uh, we train lots of sprints and there are tricky sprints here. Uh, so, yeah, um, like the moment is just to want to find these opportunities and then you can find them. Then you can model it everywhere. Fantastic. No, it sounds really good. I mean, yeah, 
sounds like a dream to be uh, an orienteer this time. How is it going with everything else in your life? Are you studying? I mean, you you are studying in Sweden, right? But but right now, obviously, you're in Russia. So how is that working out? Well, I was in Sweden as an exchange student. So basically, I studied ah, Russia, but Sweden wasn't my like. Yeah, I studied one semester in Sweden, that's right. And I lived in Gothenburg. That was an amazing time. Mm-hmm. And for a secret, I have applied for a master's degree uh, to Sweden. So hopefully in half mm-hmm. a year, I'll be again there. Yeah, but that's a secret. Don't tell anyone. Yeah, well, but I studied bachelor degree in Russia uh, in the uh, economics university. And I'm actually doing my last year now. So I'm actually writing my thesis right now. And we have uh, only remote studies, so it's really cool for me. It can be anywhere. <laughs> yeah, and I am actually on the train camps. Um, sometimes it's kind of difficult because I just come from this first training and I immediately open the Zoom. I have like three seminars in a row. And then when they finish, I have second training in five minutes. But I really think that education is important. <laughs> and I want to get the, the one I'm actually studying for. And I'm close to the finish, so I am getting it. Yeah, but I study, and I really enjoy studying, and I really enjoy this remote format. It's yeah, really convenient great. for athletes. No, um, sounds like yeah. a perfect I, sort of lifestyle. Then, uh, I mean, busy, of course, like you say, with seminars and such. But yeah, I mean, you've managed to fit everything in, and it sounds like you're going to be super well prepared. So, just tell us, uh, what what is it that you're studying? I study uh, project management in real estate, so I can, uh, yeah, (laughs) that's kind of cool in Russia. Uh, You can always find a job for that, so we'll see what I'll do after my uh, elite career. Well, I really hope to implement this education after my sports career, that's for what I study, but that's really interesting. Uh, first it was just management and then now it's more specifically but I really enjoy economics at all and uh, I don't know I'm just like this um, I have lots of like leadership qualities uh, I mean for communicating with people I'm really the one who can organize the team okay. um, I don't know <laughs> I hope that doesn't sound too high of myself but that's uh, like, yeah. Some, yeah, yeah. someone is really good at uh, like uh, uh, being given a task and I'm really good at like giving a task it's good to know what you what you're good at definitely all right uh well I just thought I would move on a little bit to ask about like you know as a junior how it was uh in Russia obviously we've heard a little bit about how you're dealing with the senior setup now um as a junior did did you have all these opportunities that you have now or like is the junior team coupled into the senior team how how is the how is the setup yeah i should really give you like a look at how russian federation looks like yeah, sure. hearing. so you in scandinavia you have like a club system hmm. there are many clubs and the athletes run for clubs and we have like a regional system so there are regions of russia there are 85 of them. And, 85 uh, regions, you, okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. and you run for a region. So I was running all my life until this year for Moscow region because I was obviously born in Moscow. So you had like a regional team and your financial uh, side of sports depends only on the region. So some regions have finances and can give you like some funding for training camps and the uh, uh, for championships of Russia and the international ones, and some regions cannot cover that at all. It really depends on the region. Mm-hmm. So we have this, um, it's kind of the same system like athletes in Scandinavia can change the club to get a better financially club, yeah? And yeah. here in Russia, you can change the region. Like mm-hmm. you also change the team and you just run for another region. And I spent all my uh, junior career in Moscow uh, team, and I truly adore it, but it had no financial uh-huh. support at all. That sounds kind of weird because everyone doesn't believe me. Like Moscow is the capital of Russia, you should have you should have like lots of money. That's yeah. totally not true at all, because Moscow has also lots of athletes and uh, Olympic sports, and we yeah. are non-Olympic sports, yeah. so funding just doesn't go to us at all. And Moscow is like kind of a bad team in <laughs> for orienteering in Russia. Well, still it has great coaches and I was glad to be a part of it. But from this year on, I run for another region, which like 
hired me, sort of, uh, and it has a better financial situation. And they can help me with training camps and covering uh, international events. Because previously, I had to cover all the World Cups and Junior World Champs by myself. Mm-hmm. And, of course, mostly by my parents. They paid for all of that. Yeah. So you said, you asked whether like I had such great conditions when I was a junior. No, I didn't. But I'm really grateful to my parents. Uh, like They did their best to provide me these conditions. Because uh, I come from a totally orienteering family. So my yeah. parents are orienteers and their parents are orienteers. Yeah. I was lucky for that. Like I was uh, three years old with a map in the forest. (laughs) And since my childhood, they took me everywhere, literally everywhere. I think they didn't have life after my birth anymore because they were just (laughs) taking me everywhere. But that's really paid off like now because they brought me to so many training camps and uh, they just taught me the orienteering technique. And uh, yeah, then... Like the tricky moment is that you can uh, get some financial support if you are already having some cool uh, international level results. For example, yeah. I have a salary from Russian Ministry of Sports because yeah. I'm the junior world champion. Yeah. But to become the junior world champion, no one will give you this financial support. No. So you okay. should somehow first yeah, become this junior world champion yeah, yeah. and then you get financial support. That's the tricky moment. And I was really lucky to have my parents yeah. helping me with this. And now I can, uh, yeah, uh, just uh, like I have my own money and I can provide um, myself with everything and live on it. But to, to come to this level, uh, that was like all my parents. Uh, yeah, that's, that's really cool. That's really cool to hear about. And so this money then that you have now, is it is it like a, a grant or is it like, uh, like you say, a salary? You have to like fulfill certain conditions now this year to like, do you have results that you have to get this year to get the salary for next year? Yeah, it's exactly like this. You, well, you can only have this salary, like start having this salary if you already have this uh, result. As a junior, it's only gold medal on the world champs, junior world champs. Then you have this salary for one more year, and then with one this one more year, you have to become once more a junior world champion. That's the only way to stay on this salary. Okay. <laughs> so it's kind of difficult to stay on, and I managed yeah. to do it for two years, but I'm really afraid of what's gonna come because yeah. I will have no more junior world champions. I can't win yeah. anymore. <laughs> yeah, it's tough yeah, when you're a senior, yeah. Yeah, you like there are, then the conditions of course change, but mm-hmm. yeah, it's uh, it's as a like. The salary for everyone those people who go to office they get every month a salary and i have a, like my salary every month okay so that's cool and the, but the, and the, the money from like the sports institute that's mostly government money that gets decided every yeah. year by the government how much they give to sports and different sports get different money every year or it's totally decided by the government how much uh, they give as a salary and also how many people will uh, receive it because it's like, I don't know, it's like 10 or maybe 15 people in whole Russia, uh, in whole Russian receiving getting this salary. So it's not so many and like you have to really fight for this place. Yeah. yeah and then also this money, it's not like my money which I spend on uh, dresses and stuff. Okay. Uh, somehow I have to put it back into or hearing like... Yeah. Um, um, well, I just have to pay for the training camps and travels. And uh, like from this year on, I have this uh, region, new region for which I run. Yeah. And it will support me much more uh, than what I had previously. So yeah, that's like separate. Uh, yeah, that's uh, separate uh, mm-hmm. yeah, institutions. Uh, but I mean that uh, this salary is not something huge, mental. Sure. <laughs> and uh, mostly sportsmen have to... Uh, put it back into future into training camps yeah yeah, yeah to grow hmm. interesting that's super interesting and then so do you have like a full-time coach as well like in the national team are they full-time paid by the same institute of sports or how, how is the setup with the coaching do you have no, coaches? no coaches no coaches <laughs> no. okay so every coach, <laughs> no every coach is volunteer so, so you okay, coach yourself there is officially Mm-hmm. Oh, well, uh, I have our wonderful uh, Johan uh, in leading. He coaches me for two years. Oh, okay. yeah, yeah. yeah, like a Johan Runeson. Thank you to, to you. <laughs> <laughs> thanks but, to Johan. Yeah. yeah, thanks to Johan. Great person, our uh, club uh, coach. Yeah, but uh, in Russian uh, situation, 
there is officially there is like a guy who is a coach, but he is uh, just uh, organizing uh, this uh, World Cup trip and like being a coach yeah. there. He's like the one, like the leader of the team, but he does nothing uh, except that. He doesn't train us uh, uh, a part of that. We can have um, national team camps, but they happen like maybe once a year. Yeah, once a year. Then he will be there, but still everyone trains like with their own, own individual path. Because in Russia, almost every athlete have uh, somehow they have their own uh, coaches, and they come from this. Um, I don't know. Al- almost always they come from childhood from these regional teams yeah. uh, where they were raised, and then they somehow have the same individual coach, and everyone has uh, different training plans. So when we have this uh, camps as a team. Still, everyone trains kind of differently, and there, well, we all uh, wish it would be different because uh, we totally see another like uh, reality in Europe and in Scandinavia, where uh, national teams have lots of training camps and uh, coaches, and they train together, and it's certainly so effective. But in Russia, like first of all, Russia is just so huge; it's so yeah. difficult to gather everyone at one place. That's just like physically sometimes not impossible. You can't do it so often. And then, I don't know, yeah, it's just so many regions and everyone trains in different places. So I'm happy to be training now with those girls. That's really a success and like a luck because almost always we are all by ourselves and you have yeah. to find yourself a coach and like a way to train. That's it. So, so the so Russian Federation... No, go on. Russian Federation is just like an... Um, an official institution which organizes the camps and it doesn't quite do any direct training process. Yeah, <laughs> no. Sure. So when you come when you come to like an international competition, how do you like get the team atmosphere, or do you feel like it's still a group of you're still a group of individuals uh, coming together yeah. to compete in a, in a world championship or in a world cup, or you know you have maybe one training camp a year, but is there that team atmosphere yeah, between you or is can, it it's all just individual kind of feelings between you? Yeah, that's kind of a conclusion you can make out of my previous speech. But <laughs> somehow we are friends. Like, uh, I don't yeah. know, we have many competitions in Russia. Like we have um, 27 uh, races every year on Russian champs altogether. So 27 races, that's kind of a lot. It's mm. more than like a seven days or... I don't know, maybe more than UK champs. I don't know. So we really often still run together on the competitions. And uh, yeah, everyone kind of knows each other. And we are, I don't know if we're all friends, but yeah, we try to be. And I should say that uh, the atmosphere in the team is really great. And I'm really thankful for it. And it's uh, totally made up by ourselves. Like we try to create it because we know the importance of it. So when you come to the World Cup, you feel... Yeah, we feel as a team. Uh, there might be some difficulties. As I think there are in any team. Yeah, like, sure. Of there course. might be. Yeah. But uh, yeah, we are a team, totally. Yeah. And uh, this coach who comes with us, we also know him or her. Yeah, so yeah. We still all know each other. And it's not like we are individuals. No, we are a team. We try to be. Yeah, yeah, of course, of course. Yeah, I mean, speaking of the team and of the Russian team, obviously the Court of Arbitration of Sport um, and WADA deemed that Rusada was non-compliant. And that's a shame because now you have to compete as a neutral athlete for two years. How did that make you feel when when that news happened? And, and what kind of, you know, are you going to be competing in your leading at clothes now at World Championships? No, we actually have to get uh, the new uh, Russian uh, like clothes, and it said that it can say Russia as long as the letters are no bigger than neutral athlete letters. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> there are certain requirements for the Russian clothes. But yeah, the whole um, they think, of course, is really not nice for us. Uh, and we we of course became sad by the thing that we have no connection to what happened. Like, uh, why we, the totally clear and the, such a nice sport, athletes have to, um, like, 
be responsible for something we have no connection with. It's not we who really made uh, this like bad things. Mm -hmm. And we, we all understand that uh, this um, decision by the court is totally understandable. It's totally right. And I'm actually surprised that it's for two years because it was supposed to be for four years. And we were mm -hmm. like kind of prepared for it already that it will be four years instead of two. So it was really a good surprise that it's now two years we have yeah. to run only like it's just two walks that we have to run in this mm -hmm. uh, closed and without our flag. Of course, it makes us sad because we have no uh, yeah connection to that at all. We're not responsible for that, and it's a governmental issue. It's also not like not an uh, athlete decision what no. to no, have no. this doping. As we understand, it's like a governmental system which was totally bad and so wrong. And actually we are all glad that it was like caught because it shouldn't exist in the sport. No. So we really understand why it is done. But uh, of course we are not glad that it touches any sport and our as well. And we kind of have to just live with it. And like, uh, I don't know how it will be felt on this walks, but I don't know. I think it will be kind of different. Like we will have not have our flag and that's kind of sad. And maybe we will feel uh, guilty for something, but there is nothing to be guilty for, at least for the like, for Russian orienteering thing. But I hope for the best, and I hope that these two years will pass quickly, and I hope for uh, other orienteers understanding of the situation. Mm -hmm. I'm like, I hope, really hope, and I believe there will be no shame or something like that. Because I believe that after part smart person who can understand yeah. what's their problem. Sure. Yeah, but it kind of touches us. We have to live with it. But it's like uh, any obstacle just makes us make us stronger. Yeah, absolutely. Hopefully. And um, yeah, I mean, I sh it's really incredible to hear you talk about that and your perspective on that. And uh, yeah, give give the give the listeners to this interview an idea of how it is for you to to, have, to be in that position because I can't imagine it really myself um, must be awful. What do you, I mean, your position on fair play is kind of clear from what you've just said there. And what do you think about fair play in orienteering? You know, it was an issue before, just before COVID came, before all the competitions last year, you know, you competed in the Chinese World Cup and of course the Chinese military championships that year the world military championships in china sorry that year uh the china's the chinese team all got disqualified and then of course there were some question marks raised at the world cup in china uh, about some of the performances of the chinese athletes and such what's your position on fair play and orienteering in general do you think you know orienteering is a great sport full of great people is is there a problem or, or should you know is, was that just a one-off thing? Um, that's a really good question. And uh, those, uh, that's what happened in China and uh, after on the World Cup. It made, I think it made the whole Orienteering community so disappointed because mm -hmm. somehow we were such like a clear, like innocent sport, really innocent. Yeah. <laughs> and I really believe it can continue. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, I'm totally for the fair play and I know somehow uh, it was raised in me and I think in other Russian sportsmen from the childhood it's like something you're raised with by your coach and it, and it uh, is built up with this uh, simple things like when you come to the competition in Russia it's almost on the like there are so many competitions uh, outside of Russian championships there when you finish the race no one will take your map you just have you just go with the, your map and to the place where you change your clothes, but then so no one comes an idea to have this map, like have a look at this map before you just your start, and no one has an idea to show someone this map. So the simple things I think we were raised with this, and uh, there are many of them which uh, all together form this fair play, and it's also like. I was uh, even answering this IOF survey about fair play. Mm -hmm. And uh, the first question was like, what is a fair play for you? And it was so difficult to answer because you know, <laughs> it's just like a, a field of, uh, yeah, some uh, points, uh, which I was raised with. I don't know, it's just like a fair play. Something 
we in our interior live with and I truly adore it because I don't know I think we're the most innocent sport ever mm. and I believe that that what happened in China will not uh, happen anymore I don't know if that's naive or if that's childish but I just believe in it because I believe in our interior and I love our sport and I think the people who uh, go in for our interior they're also kind of like specific people intellectual yeah. and uh, yeah. i don't know the school people who will no, it's, it's definitely <laughs> it's, yeah. I, I i totally agree and i think the, the the whole feeling of orienteering is that of like yeah this is a fun sport this is an innocent sport as you say and this is a yeah. sport where everyone is playing fair but at the same time it's 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 difficult when we come to things like world champs and particularly i'm thinking of like sprint orienteering you know, people trying to really, you know, gain as much advantage as possible with, you know, making making their own maps and uh, perhaps, you know, street view and everything that sort of can give you a, a very big advantage. And obviously, and and there's a lot of rules now, you know, with embargoes and where you can and can't go. Certain roads are okay to go. I know there's a lot of problems for athletes in, who live in Edinburgh. They've been working in Edinburgh for two, uh, a few years' time in the World Champs when there's going to be sprint orienting there. So what do you think about those kind of rules? And, yeah, g- give me a little insight onto, onto that if you have any opinion. Yeah, uh, well, somehow now it feels like there are so, so many rules. You can't, like, just remember all of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, because with this new discipline and sprint, you have to remember all of that. And, like, yeah, there just are so many questions to have in mind. Like, I don't have to walk on this uh, street. And that's, like, a good question you raised about this open street view and, like, walking through Google. Everyone uses it and, like, no one quite understands whether it's cheating or not. It's not cheating, it's available for everyone. And it's like a kind of smart to use the whole information you have because everyone has this information. And if someone prepared better because of he or she was using it, then it's just smart for like this sportsman. And uh, yeah, but IOF, I think somehow shall uh, decide what is like what you can do and what you cannot do and try to create this uh, whole cloud of, of rules, uh, which is, yeah, as I said, kind of difficult to remember and understand. But yeah, we, we are such a unique sport and like uh, about fair play, it's just like orienteering doesn't make any sense without our, uh, fair play. That's like the base of our sport. So we have to somehow yeah deal with so many rules and understand them and uh, like this sprint, it's uh, such a cool discipline and it has such a perspective with going on TV and it's already so great it is promoting our sport but we have to be um, yeah fair in this discipline we have to respect all the rules and um, uh, me uh, myself I was in kind of this scandal on the jaywalk in uh, 2018 in Hungary we were disqualified from the sprint and I think it's important to say about this and like to talk about it. Yeah, we, we were in the embargo area and it was forbidden. And we were ourselves really stupid. We didn't understand we were there and we didn't understand we didn't have to be there. So it was like, yeah, we already misunderstood the rules in 2018 and now there are so many more of them. But it was like a tough lesson which we learned and then we uh, started to be more and more clever with reading the whole information. But we were just stupid kids, but we were totally guilty. And then, um, oh, yeah, yeah uh, it was really fair that we were disqualified. And I think it's important, yeah, to tell about this. And um, yeah, so after that, it, it uh, taught me to be much more like, uh, yeah, uh, how to say, accurate and like, uh, mm-hmm. uh, read all the rules and understand what I can do, what I am not allowed to do. And yeah, that's uh, that's our sport. And I think it makes it more interesting. So we kind of have to prepare for it and be ready to live with these many rules, but they just make the sport better. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, if a rule can make the sport fairer and more competitive for everybody, then of course it's it's good to have. And 
yes, of course, maybe there's some complexity that comes in, but yeah, the fairness is the the thing that should be the overarching. You know, the the whole thing uh, is that's the biggest priority, of course. Well, thanks. I mean, we got in pretty deep there into uh, into the fairness discussion, but that was nice. That was super nice to hear uh, to hear. Yeah, your stories and your thoughts on that and everything. Um, yeah, I mean, that's all I really wanted to ask. I mean, it's great that you are managing to train so well and that you still have the championships and the big races in mind. And of course, you know, over the next few years. It, Hopefully, you you're going to be a great star in the senior in the senior races as well. So we're looking. Hopefully, to, thank you very much. Yeah, good uh, seeing that. And of course, um, yeah, looking forward to maybe seeing you back in Sweden and uh, and this sort of thing as well. So thanks very much. Yeah, I'm looking forward to the whole world <clears throat> coming back to the normal life and look forward to it exactly. Also, yeah. I think we're all patient because we all love volunteering, but I'm already really much looking forward to all of the competitions just to be organized and so that we can participate and meet all together in this foreign, amazing towns and cities. Yeah, and just do what we love. Because uh, I train for that, and then in some time it's like hard to be only training. But luckily in Russia, we have many competitions organized already, so... We kind of have uh, orientated season, but I really hope for this 2021 season to be also organized internationally. Yeah. But thank you too. for all, all your nice words. It was like a really interesting discussion. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Thank you. So thank you so much to Nika for and to Hector for both sitting down and bringing us that interview. I thought it was very, very interesting in all sorts of different ways from how she feels about not competing, being able to compete on the Russian flag, like how the whole setup is, how quite individual it is. And also the kind of the fair issues of fair play there, which is, which is, yeah, I found that very interesting that obviously we've only kind of got her um, side of the story about when she got disqualified um, and when the team got disqualified at a junior world championships for going on the sprint area. But um yeah, it's certainly, I think, an interesting one to hear from her perspective. Although glad to hear that she's kind of saying that, yeah, we deserve to get disqualified for that. <laughs> yeah, I'm uh, too right. Um, <laughs> yeah. The, I mean, I, I, so I know Nika through the club and um, we do get on quite well. But I would just say that I don't think the excuse of just being kids and, and understand, not understand the rules is a good enough excuse because yeah you uh everyone knows the rules everyone knows you're not allowed onto an embargoed area before a competition it's yeah. uh you know yeah. that years before exactly and i mean who knows how many people actually do that and how many people just do it and get caught and yeah. all that kind of thing so uh, i still it, think it, it's one we've not got an adequate solution for <laughs> No, and it's an interesting one because in 2010, the Ukrainian team were disqualified from the Jaywalk Sprint for doing the same thing. Mm. Um, not posting it on social media, but they were caught being in the area, just walking around. Mm. And I think there's other instances of it as well. In yeah, I remember being the mountain bike world champs in Lithuania um, a few years ago when some of the team were disqualified for pretty much the same reason. Really? Yeah. And I've seen, I can't remember the guy's name, it was, I mean, so long ago now, it's nearly, God, nearly 10 years, that makes me feel old. Um, I remember at my first EYOC in 2011, um, yeah, going into the quarantine, yeah. yeah, European Youth Champs, and there was a Russian guy warming up with a map of the area, and it said explicitly in the rules, you are not allowed to warm up with any maps in quarantine, and he was just doing, running along with it, and then the organiser grabbed it off him, and then he said, well, it's, it's not mine, I was given it by the coach. And mate, it's like the first line in the was about the quarantine is don't have a map of the area, and so he got disqualified for that. So yeah, and I think I think maybe there's a part of an excuse of like oh lost in translation because honestly I've been to team I've been to team leaders meetings where everybody is speaking English in their second language and the number of misunderstandings you get is like quite astonishing but really i mean it's the the job of the team officials to be across all of the rules and make sure that the team knows it and yeah 
stick Definitely. to it to be honest so yeah. yeah you're not allowed to take any kind of mobile devices into mm. quarantine i can't remember my bag actually ever being checked to see if i have got that and it's way too easy to probably smuggle something in go to the toilet no one's going to look at you no one's going to check your pockets yeah. or anything like that yeah. and people just sit there and watch the gps in the toilet it's perfectly possible yeah yeah so, well you know orienteering relies on trust and orienteering yeah. relies on a lot of what nika was saying you know people have grown up doing this sport and you're doing it for the love of the sport and for the integrity of you know you 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 want to keep that integrity of the sport mm. there because you love it and i think that's what drives most people to stay in by the rules and everything so absolutely but yeah, yeah. It, it's not it's not i think it's never going to be 100 percent effective i think at all so no. anyway there's always there's always one bad egg <clears throat> yeah exactly anyway um that's nearly that's nearly it for this episode um quickly a word from our sponsors envy and straight and uh will we've, we've kind of both been using a lot of the forest twos recently what tell us a bit about those shoes yeah, so the Forest 2 is it's, it's your, your go-to off-road trail shoe, uh, which offers you the best combination of grip and lightweight. Um, so I've been using mine in the, in the forest around here, trying to get off a bit of the mud-clogged fields. Both really responsive, yet really, um, really grippy and at the same time. Catherine, what about you? Yeah, they're my kind of go-tos for... When I, I do orient uh, something with a map generally every Sunday, so I'm off the tracks, I'm I'm in the terrain doing something, and they're my go-tos for that. So if you want a pair of those, you can contact Mary Fleming uh, on nvstraight.uksales at gmail.com. That's nvistr the number eight dot uksales at gmail.com. And um, that's pretty much it for this episode. Um, hopefully next episode we can bring you some news of some orienteering having happened and maybe the new looking ahead as to kind of what's coming up in the spring and in the summer. Fingers crossed on all of that, of course. It's not quite as easy as everybody just saying, yes, we can now do outdoor sports, as I'm sure a lot of clubs will know very well in terms of permissions and everything's like that and loads more hoops to jump through. But... Hopefully next time we'll uh, actually, you know, have done some more interior. We can actually celebrate that. But um, so there's no sprint episode uh, next week, but we'll be back in a couple of weeks time with our next major episode and we will see you then.